So welcome to this week's edition of the Retech Podcast. I am delighted to be joined by the hugely impressive Russell Danks. Now, Russell has spent the majority of his career working in brands, many of which you'll have heard of across the globe, specifically marketing, innovation and strategy roles. Some of those brands include Tesco, Yum, KFC, P&O Cruises, Cunard and UK pub groups Green King and Punch Pubs and Co. Now, famous, if that's the right word, for challenging the status quo wherever he goes, uh, Russ has delivered a big change in big businesses consistently. Now, leading the charge as marketing and strategy director at Punch Pubs, uh, where he's been enrolled since 2018, leading also their long-term growth strategy. So, Russ, welcome. Well, that was an introduction there. Uh, hope I live up to expectations today. Well, well, you see, you have done so much. It's kind of, you know, you go through, do I pick up on the BAFTA nomination? Is that not really relevant to our conversation today? So, um, yeah, no, hugely impressive. Now, before we get into some details, I've just got to ask the question, looking at that, that CV and resume, young Russell sat in the classroom in his short trousers, peering out of the window. Was, was retail always your career choice or was there something else that you actually set about wanting to do? Um, I think I have always been interested in design, the way things are. Um, I think uh, young Russell wanted to be an architect, actually. Um, I really loved the way uh, buildings were formed, why they were done in that way. Actually, I suppose it's easier to judge stuff that is badly designed. And you kind of go, I wish I could have a go at that. Why can't I do that? Um, and um, I suppose I fell into retail, really, as we all do. I started actually on trolleys at Tesco. Uh, I was pushing trolleys. I did everything at Tesco, um, everything from photo lab to, you know, when photos was a thing, uh, you remember that? Uh, yeah. Customer services, checkouts, um, and then got my first junior management position when I was at university. And, um, and, and, I didn't, and, you know, this was in the time, you know, this was 97. So I didn't really envisage leaving Tesco. They were a good business to work for. I learned a lot uh, from them. They were, they were, they were really, uh, you know, an impressive business to work for. So probably uh, no is the answer. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of fell into it as well. Yeah, I don't know. Architect wanting to design, put your own blueprint on. You've kind of, you know, sort of, uh, you know, wandered around doing a little bit like that. And who knows? Still time to uh, to design, uh, you know, the, the next big tower in London to uh, to hit the horizon. Now, um, I want to ask you about your day to day at Punch and, and what that looks like. But just conscious that we have a an international audience. So roll back a little bit. Punch Taverns. Tell me, tell tell us about the business. Clearly, it's in uh, in the pub business, but what the size of it, footprint, and what does that look like first? Yeah, so Punch Pubs and Co is a business of thirteen hundred pubs across uh, the United Kingdom. Um, it is a really diverse range of pubs, um, and uh, for those people that are in Britain, you know, pubs are the are the main uh, you know kind of place to go. But of course. Uh, they're famous worldwide and i think that's because they come in many guises so we run pubs that are your old time boozers through to gastro pubs to hotels uh, to pubs that are in the new forest that you know allow dogs to boutique hotels um, you know they do come in lots of different shapes and sizes that also makes my job super interesting because it isn't a brand each pub is its own individual brand uh, which is the bit that becomes quite exciting. So uh, the business uh, has been around since 1997. Um, it has uh, been through a number of different changes during that time. I joined back in 2018 uh, when it was going through a bit of a tough time. It had new owners. 
Um, and my job is to come in and, I suppose, shape uh, the strategy for the future, but also to give it a sense of identity um, and a, a kind of sense of direction going forward. So uh, that's why I've been there for that long. And actually, it's been it's been a, it's been a brilliant business to work for. You know, there's some cracking people that work there. And and so you've got. I mean, that is just a vast estate of uh, you know of, of pubs to to try and manage. Like you say, very very diverse. So what on earth? does your day-to-day look like? Yeah, Russ sits down in the morning. Do you open the email first? Do you look at last night's trading figure? I mean, what on earth? How do you get a grip on on a business of that size? I think it's an interesting question because pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, they're two different things. And um, for my sins, I I, uh, I head up crisis management. So the pandemic was definitely one ongoing crisis management uh, uh, process. Normally they last a week. Uh, this one lasted two years. But I think um, it's interesting actually because you know my job covers off everything that touches the guest. So everything from uh, you know the, the finding the pub digitally first of all. Let's start there. So actually I'm going to go out for Sunday lunch this Sunday. Where am I going to go? So and then I might have a quick look at its, its Facebook pages. I might look at its website. I might book um, uh, online. I then will go into the pub uh, in terms of uh, the look, the feel, in terms of the food offer, the drink offer. Uh, any of those things uh, kind of sit under my remit. Um, and then, of course, if it's been good, uh, everything that's all the reviews that come out of that, but also PR and brand risks as well that sit out of that. So it really can vary from day to day. And the reason why I say it's interesting in a post-pandemic world, because we kind of are in a post-pandemic, but actually what we have got used to or we need to get used to is the fact that we kind of jump from crisis to crisis. So ongoing you know, surges in COVID variants. Uh, ongoing impacts to staff availability, ongoing impacts to supply chain, ongoing impacts to the way consumers are reacting, the ongoing living crisis. Um, actually, every day is presenting itself a new challenge, and that is requiring a different style of leadership to what my job was two years ago, really. Um, you know, I came off a call this morning at half eight talking about the fact that supply chains of 2019, when it was just in time, are probably a little bit long gone. Um, we're now in a period of uh, mass uh, uh, migration in the low-paid sector or in the low-skilled sector, and uh, and we see that across the board, and you know, including our own teams, where people are moving around, um, you know, in different businesses, and that, of course, is presenting itself a challenge. So, I think, um, yeah, the day-to-day variance is is pretty big. Yeah, it's interesting. When I you know, I started off in in grocery, you know, stacking shelves at a co-op and going through. You know, we used to carry four weeks of stock in the warehouse, you know, and fast forward through my time at Sainsbury's and Homebase and Aldi when it launched in the UK. You know, we were we were down to, you know, not four weeks, but all, you know, Aldi four hours, you know, if we could get yeah. two deliveries a day. Um, but you're right. I think, you know, those stores that have been constructed and, and outlets, you know, hospitality that have no storage and no warehouse space are on a real challenge at the minute because, you know, you have to have you have to have stock because we've got bumps in the supply chain that we have not seen for for decades. Yeah, I mean the the big piece of work I'm doing right now is is on local resilience. So um, you know, some of our sites get four drops a week, um, and so trying to wean them off the fact that if it doesn't turn up tomorrow, it might turn up on the next one. But actually, working back on, you know, back to your point, you know, when I was working for Tesco, you know, we had two weeks worth of uh, stock on hand. 
and actually we're just starting to employ that back into our pubs about the number of stock weeks that needs to be on hand. Uh, how do you build local resilience that if, uh, if a wagon doesn't turn up or if uh, you know it's not everything that's on there, then ultimately you've got two or three weeks worth of buffer stock to be able to do that with. And, you know, I mean, you'll remember this in your supermarket days. You know, at Christmas, we're putting in freezer containers into supermarkets to get turkeys in, right? Yeah. But I'm doing that now to make sure that I've got enough frozen stock on hand at each site level, which I've never known in my career. Mm-hmm. So... Um, but of course, I think the key thing here is that I can't change the industry. I can't change the sector. What I can do, though, is build resilience at a local level. And I think that's the way that we'll win in the local marketplace. Yeah, because even now with all of the challenges, you know, you've got a situation, a, a customer's going to go into a, a punch uh, establishment and they are going to expect to get, you know, if they're a, a traditional Sunday lunch eater and whatever the drink they want with it, you know, that's that's bad PR. That'll go on Facebook and social media if you can't provide them with their roast beef, or in my case, you know, the, the nut roast, um, you know, whatever it might be. But but you know, you've you've got one shot of that, really, haven't you? And it, it's a it's a complete change. Yeah, I mean, we've just um, launched a new menu cycle in, in the spring summer, and that comes with about a third uh, of, of the product skew changes, so about three hundred and fifty skew changes, and. Um, I probably currently am running at about 74% availability, which is just shocking, right? We used to kill ourselves if we didn't get 98, 99. Yeah. Um, and I think, so we have a part job to educate our customers on the fact that, you know, w- that we can't always get it. And trying to change the narrative is what I'm, I'm talking about at the moment, which is, you know, uh, we have a product in particular, a croquette, uh, a brilliant croquette um, that's made by a, a little chap in, uh, in, in London called Ollie Nell. And so we've just done a little video snapshot of him saying, uh, hey, guys, really excited to get the products in supply chain. It's not available just yet. Tell your customers to come back in a couple of weeks time because it's going to be available. Yeah. So just saying, look, you know, it's not a case of the fact that it's not available. And I'm really sorry that, you know, the office hasn't done their thing and supply chain hasn't done their thing. But really trying to get people in. And I suppose in hospitality, it, that's the bit which is that, is that connection in retail. If it's not there, you might have a bait and switch or someone might just leave yeah. altogether. In hospitality, you do have the opportunity to recover that, but that comes with knowledge, that comes with reassurance, um, it comes with all the things that go with that. I went into with my uh, my family and and, uh, and and grandparents as well uh, to a restaurant last night, and we were handed something that you would say would might be the specials card, but it actually listed all of the items on the menu which weren't available, which meant that you didn't choose those. Now, the very smart thing was this little establishment had made a a, a recommendation and then there was a little line of text explaining why it wasn't available and actually we all thought it was genius now it was a longer sheet than the actual specials card but it provoked conversation we went oh thank goodness at least i didn't pick the you know cashew stir fry because there's no this that or the other and so we went down a different route so yeah right it can be recovered but you have to manage it in a way that maybe we've not seen before it's a cracking idea. I think the uh, one of the things we're doing at the moment is 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 telling what we call. Uh, I've sold the idea from Tesco actually, but it's it's food love stories really, um, and it's about people falling in love with our food and where it comes from. And normally we would tell the journey of maybe the beef that's come from a particular farmer. Why has it come from that farmer? Why is it treated with care? But now we're actually pivoting that story to tell all of the pitfalls that can happen in the supply chain, which means it doesn't get to you always on time at the right, you know, when you want it. And so really getting people to understand the complexity um, of, of, of 
the ecosystem that we work in. So trying to get a carrot to a site, I know it sounds ridiculous, uh, but actually, of course, there's probably about 45 different touch points that could go wrong uh, that actually we need to not necessarily justify, but just to give people um, an understanding of, okay, I understand why that's not available now, and, and therefore I, I might have a little bit of sympathy for you um, and choose something else. We did. We went down this point of making everything available all of the time and packaged in such a way that it bore no resemblance to the piece of ground or animal that it had come from. I think we just we detached our consumers completely from any sense of reality to to the process that goes well, in. So I think genius that you're bringing that in. When I, you know, when we were when we were young, right, we'd we'd go down, to, you know, and I hark back to the old days. I'm, you know, only forty, but I hark back to the old days. Um, you know, we go to the butchers, and if topside wasn't in, we might have some brisket. Um, but the butcher would recommend, and we would choose something different as a result. I think, you know, I think we have to wean ourselves off the fact that the supply chain is probably not going to get back to normality for some 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 time. You know, I mean, in in this in in September last year, it was all about HGV driver availability. Mm. Now it's about picker availability. But it's not just picker availability in the depot; it's picker availability at all the wholesalers that go with it as well, or someone to pick the veg in the first place. So um, all of these different touch points, you know, just continue to, and let's face it, probably 2022, um, I can't foresee any change in that. So it is here to stay. The top people from the top organisations with the latest thinking about the best strategies to use in the greatest industry on earth, retail. The Retail Conference from the Retail Bulletin, exclusively at Retech Europe. 8th and 9th of November. Search the Retail Conference for more details. Clearly, Punch is uh, is an amazing role, and let's let's assume that's the the best uh, role and company you've ever worked for. Of all the other places that you've been, what's your what's your favourite brand that you've been involved with? Uh, and what particularly stands out? What did you learn the most? What was maybe the biggest project change that you delivered? Uh, so good question. I mean, they all give you something, don't they? I mean, Tesco was brilliant for management um, training and experiences. I mean, they, you know, the big business I've worked for has done it so well. And so giving you all those basics of how to manage people, how to have difficult conversations, all of that sort of stuff was really good, really good leadership grounding. I still use a lot of the stuff they, they taught me now today. Um, uh, P&O Cruises and Cunard was just a brilliant way of understanding retail and hospitality in a microcosm. So actually you can influence people in a really clever way in a bubble that you can't do in the rest of the world, right? So when you're influencing the whole of London, that's really difficult. You can influence 3,000 people on a ship though, and you can manipulate them in a way that means that they spend more right uh kfc was brilliant uh culturally taught me a lot about culture uh you know this is a chicken and chips business but it, it never talked about chicken and chips it talked about people it talked about education it talked about learning it was just a brilliant business to work for uh, green king taught me a lot about commerciality and punch has taught me about the fact that um you know uh sometimes in big business in big business you kind of uh you take for granted uh, some of the big infrastructure and often uh, when you've got a group structure it's quite useful whereas in a smaller business like ours the six of us are on the exec team right. and when the tough gets going you've got to work harder yeah. pretty much the six there so look i mean 
all of those brands and you've continued to uh, to progress, like you say, to, to the very top of the organization. You know, one of the things that we often hear is people talk about how to influence the board, either from outside it or when you're on the board to influence your fellow board members to get what you want, get what you need, get what you believe in. Clearly, you've done that and consistently done that. What are your top tips? What do you think you've got that's allowed you to, to get your vision through? Because clearly you don't just sort of sit there, nod and leave with a note. So, so what do you bring to the table? How do you go about doing that? I think three things. I think uh, one is if you're in a director's position, the clue, the clue is in the title. You have to direct. Uh, uh, you know, that is absolutely part of your job. And um, so you've got to set the direction. Uh, to set that direction, you've got to take people on a journey and you've got to explain it like a story. Too many people I see go into a board, uh, kind of go straight into like the middle part of the story without either covering the beginning um, and certainly not getting to the end. And therefore they kind of get stuck in the middle part. So I think, you know, it's about a beginning, a middle and end. But the third part is keep it really simple and really top level. We overestimate the fact that at the board level, uh, I think we're, we're all pretty simple folk um, and therefore... The reality of coming in with a 30-page deck with a load of words on it just scares me to death because I'm bumping, I'm bouncing around from topic to topic. Therefore, I need to be able to get into the topic really quickly, understand the, the, the problem that you're presenting and the solutions that you're recommending. And I think that's a key part as well as having a solution that you recommend. There might be, I call it the Goldilocks method, present three options, but with a clear recommendation as to why your one is the right one. Uh, so something that's a little bit too sweet or not enough sweet <laughs> enough, actually, the one in the middle is just about right. So I think those three things, one is direct, uh, two is about uh, tell a story, and the third one is just keep it simple with a really clear recommendation at the end. Mm. Um, because otherwise, you know, time runs out, uh, and at the end of it, uh, those people are left confused, and you're left without a decision. And, and so building on top of that, you know, that's a really, I love, I love yeah, the Goldilocks approach. I, like, I should definitely steal that a little bit, like if you're still diving into I mean, Tesco. Um, what qualities do you think sort of a, you know, a modern leader needs to have in retail and hospitality? Because, you know, I've got a decade more on you. You know, when I started, you know, it was very, here's the clipboard, go follow the list I've written for you. You know, I've got a huge respect for Aldi. But when I joined, it was run from Germany still with lots of ex-military and a very specific and, 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 and style. But I think things have changed and moved on. So, if you were to list the top two or three qualities you know, that you think you need, what, what would they be? I think the first one is listen, but genuinely listen. There's a really good, I learned this at KFC actually, there's the four ears of listening. The first one is I'm listening and waiting for a gap so I can respond. The second one is I'm listening, but I, what I call the at, uh, you know, kind of a band camp. So basically, oh, that happened to me. Uh, well, actually, I'm talking about me, and you've managed to turn it back on you. Why is that? The third one is genuinely listening with empathy, and the fourth one is is doing that with care and compassion. And I think often I try and sit in number three as much as possible. And the first one is listening. The second one, I think, is being genuinely inquisitive. So I see it all the time. Someone said to me, how do you keep on top of trends? What do you read? Well, it's being inquisitive, right? So if I walk down the high street, why is uh, you know, Burger King in Leicester Square doing a vegetarian-only restaurant? Why there? 
is it because they think it's a trend or is it a PR stunt? You know, being genuinely inquisitive, and that goes for people, goes for business models, goes for commerciality, being genuinely inquisitive. And the, the, the moment I stop being inquisitive, it's the day I become a stale leader, I think. Um, and the third one is, is, is look for a range of different experiences. Long gone are the days where you stay in a business 10 years. Um, I actually kind of, I'm so glad I didn't stay at Tesco for 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 forever. I think the reality is is the fact that um, the the thing that I think makes me a better leader is is having lots of different experiences, working with lots of different nationalities. Piano Cruises, I worked with 21 different nationalities. So learning how to manage Eastern Europeans versus the Philippines uh, versus the Indians versus the UK group, uh, I think gives you a lot of experience in terms of how to manage people long term. So there would be the three. Yeah. It, it- and all of those things have really come, I think, onto the agenda of a leader in the last 10 years, 15 years. So, yeah, you must see this people that have been in post for 30, 40 years at the same organization. And, you know, you can see the challenges that that brings. So, yeah, my favorite, my favorite role, actually, Green King, I went in there to help them change uh, positioning. And um, this company has been going since 1799. Right? I mean, older than America uh, uh, and uh, 1799. And um, the irony in this uh, is the fact that someone who used to say to me, well, we've done that before. Well, the likelihood of you doing it before is really high because you've been around since 1799. So therefore, we might have to try it again in a different way. Um, so I think yeah, there's a real challenge around people understanding uh, kind of how change happens in organizations. Where does the, 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 the kind of challenge come from? And I think if you've been there for a good chunk of time that doesn't mean to say that you have become stale but i think that there is a highly likely opportunity a highly likely possibility that that is the case yes that's right we tried that in 1987 and it didn't work so we can't possibly <laughs> try it again so, or, or in you know, 1846 in the case of drinking now look um um you know thrilled to announce that um you are actually going to be appearing in the flesh at uh, the retail conference which is taking place as part of Retech Europe, 8th and 9th of November at the NEC. Um, goodness only knows which of your areas of expertise, stories, background um, that you're going to be talking about. And I, I realise it's November, but any insight on the sort of things that, that we're going to hear from you from that big stage? I know we were talking before we came on air about which Britney Spears track you wanted as you walk on music. You know, I know we've still got to finalise that, the colour of the laser light show. But in terms of content, once we get going, what, where, where, where's your thinking at? Well, I think there's a couple of things on the cards currently. I mean, one is the fact that the, the market is so dynamic. I mean, it, currently, I keep saying to my team in marketing, uh, I keep saying that this is the most interesting time to be alive in marketing because the consumer is constantly changing. You know, uh, what an exciting time to be alive. I'm pretty sure when I give them that much work, they probably don't believe that, but they, they do think that. But I also think we're going to touch on some of the emerging trends. And so one of the things I love um, is, is something, a, a piece called Trends and Fads. So what's here to stay and what's here as a fad? So one of the things we're going to kind of probe into a little bit deeper is actually things like the metaverse. So is it a fad? Is it here to stay? Or, or is it going to be a little bit of a sideshow that potentially we shouldn't invest our time in? Um, so I'm going to give uh, a little bit of insight as to why that is the case and why I think maybe some of the trends that are, are here longer term. So I think um, at the moment, uh, that's very much a uh, work in progress because some of the trends and fads are only just advancing to emerge. So a good example of that is look at all of the value brands that popped up uh, post-recession in 2008 um, and you know look at the growth of Audi, Lidl, Hungry Horse, all those sorts of businesses all came out the back end of that. Are we on the cusp of that? 
I don't know. Uh, and so actually one of the things I need to kind of figure out for my business is exactly that question, uh, which hopefully I'm going to share with you guys. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So um, one final question. Um, lots going on uh, at Punch, but are you optimistic for the future? Is it a bright future for, for Punch and hospitality, do you feel? How do you, how do you perceive the market, you know, as we, as we hurtle through 2022 and beyond? Well, we've just actually uh, sold our business uh, recently to some new investors, Fortress Investment Group, in December 2021. Um, the uh, market for pubs in particular is, is really strong, and that is on the back of probably uh, some, you know, some really significant growth opportunities in the world of pubs. So it's interesting that you know, some of that comes on the back of demise of other brands. And so I think the consumer is looking for authentic, local um, uh, kind of activities. The pub fits into that nicely. Um, and I think, you know, certainly for our industry in particular, that presents a lot of growth. I think the eating out market will become under challenge. I, uh, I think that is, that is no doubt. Uh, you know, uh, for example, in the value market, where energy prices increased over the last couple of weeks at the beginning of April, I think the challenge of taking money out of people's pockets today will have an impact on me tomorrow. Um, and so I think, you know, we do need to think about how we navigate through that. And I think uh, pubs have demonstrated um, that they've managed to do that well in the past. Um, so I think, you know, the future remains bright as long as we remain, um, I think, uh, agile and adaptable to the future. I think, you know, we're, we're littered with brands that have gone uh, and people say, oh, I, you know, Woolworths was the classic, wasn't it? Oh, it's terrible. I miss it. You know, the pick and mix. Well, when did you last buy pick and mix? Well, I bought it as a child. You know, you've got to stay relevant that, that people still want to go in. And, you know, personally, I look at some of the pubs and hospitality you know, industry and the, those that still look like they're in the middle of the 1980s myself and my family you know don't go into but if it's a, a modern establishment with a great restaurant or good food or whatever then it becomes appealing doesn't it and um, I guess your job is to keep 1300 of those on the front foot and on their a-game it always used to you know the Woolworths British Home Stores all of those catalogs of shops people used to walk past and go oh my god it's closing and is it any surprise? I mean, yeah. they were badly run. Um, they were badly run, often not up to date. And the same goes for pubs. There is no room for bad business. So if you are resting on your laurels, um, you know, regardless of what that is, whether that's around uh, cleanliness and hygiene, safety, uh, customer service, you know, food quality, whatever those things may be. And of course, what we're, the, uh, uh, you know, if we were potentially to go into a recession, I think uh, that all that does is cut the wheat from the shaft. That, that absolutely is the case. So, um, well, I've got uh, huge confidence that, uh, that you're going to uh, continue to drive the business forward. Um, I, I'm fascinated. I could talk to you for hours. So I'm super excited that you're going to be uh, on stage at the NEC later this year at, uh, at the retail conference. But for now, Russ, it's been an awesome pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And we'll see you in person later in the year. See you later. Bye.